morning. Hey, what's up, guys? Hey, hey, hey. Uh, my name's Austin, Austin Miller, and that was my wife. How cute is that? That is so awesome. She killed it. Man, it is a pleasure to be with you guys this morning. Uh, if I haven't met you yet, my name's Austin. Been a part of this church for a couple years. I came here when I was a college student and graduated two years ago, hopped on staff with Salt Company, and have been loving leading freshman ministry uh, for college students. It is a blast. I eat in the dorms often, which is pretty fun. The pizza is still relatively bad, and the fries are the best thing on the menu. Uh, I grew up just south of the cities in a place called Savage, and now I live in South Minneapolis with my wife, Cora. We love it. And honestly, this is a little bit weird for me because at this time, growing up on a Sunday morning, I would be at church, but I'd be making myself a little cozy in the chair. I'd be, you know, crossing my legs a little bit, maybe leaning my head up against my mom's shoulder, and I'll start dozing off, actually, in front of the uh, pastor giving the message. But now I'm up here, and you're there, so hopefully I don't make you fall asleep, but if you do, I get it. I've been there. But we're looking at Psalm 67, and it is one of my favorite psalms, so I'm excited to walk through it with you guys. Uh, just want to make something clear, though, about the whole, like, falling asleep thing. If you're, if you're anything like I was, you kind of think that I can't really see you, that, you know, you can kind of get away with falling asleep. Just want to let you know, I can see you really well. can see you super well. You look great, but I will know if you are sleeping, so hopefully you can keep your eyes open. Like I said, Psalm 67, it is about all peoples. This is a, a psalm for everyone, and by connection, this message is a message for everyone, for all peoples, for all nations. Through this psalm, we get a view of the entire globe. Our lens widens. We take a step back, and we see God's heart for the world, and I am stoked about it. Here's how we are cruising through this morning. We're looking at two things to know, two things to enjoy, and one thing to do. Pretty simple. Let's get going with two things to know. If you'll look back with me at verse 1 and 2, let's read together. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among the nations. Okay, I see two things for us to know here. That one, God is full of grace. And two, that God has saving power. God's full of grace. This is how the psalm starts off. God, be gracious to us. Bless us. Make, make your face shine upon us. The psalmist is just saying, God, give us something we don't deserve. Give us something that we can't earn. I love that these are the first words of the psalm. I think that means something. Because the first thing that we need this morning and every morning is grace. We need today a reminder that God gives grace. The reason we're here is not to learn how to be perfect people or to have perfect morality, we are here to be reminded that God gives grace. 
We are not here to push people away or wag our finger at people, but to acknowledge that God gives undeserving people a chance at relationship with him. That's why we're here this morning. It's grace. That's what we need to start with. It reminds me of a parable that Jesus taught. It's about a Pharisee and a tax collector, the Pharisee being a religious elite, top of the totem pole, and the tax collector pushed aside by society, low on the totem pole, wealthy but low because the people hated them because they cheated people out of their money. So we've got these two characters, and Jesus said that they both went to the temple to pray. And it says that the Pharisee began praying, God, thank you. Thank you that I'm not like those other people. Thank you that I'm not one who cheats and steals and lies. Thank you that I do all the right things. Thank you especially that I'm not like this tax collector. And then Jesus says that the tax collector kind of sits in the back, can't even look up to heaven, and he prays this simple sentence, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus finishes the parable by saying, it was the tax collector who was justified. He went home, made right with God, not the Pharisee. It was the one that was humble enough to recognize his own depravity. Said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And God was merciful to him. It wasn't the person that was apparently cleaned up on the outside. It was the person that was low enough to admit his wretched state. So my question for you is pretty simple. How are you coming in this morning? How are you thinking even about yourself? Are you coming in this morning kind of trying to puff yourself up a little bit? Maybe stack yourself up to the, to the person next to you? Hoping that maybe it's the things that you did well this week that will help God like you a little bit more this morning. Maybe the only reason you're able to hold your head high this morning is because you think you've had a great week or maybe you're entering into this place, your head hanging low because you know you've had a bummy week. But if you're honest with yourself, the thing that you think makes you right with God is your performance. Is that how you're coming in? Or are you acknowledging that the only reason that you are allowed to be with God and be in his presence is grace? It's not performance. It's admitting that you need him. Regardless if you've had a good week, a bad week, we can enter this morning and the first thing that we need is grace. And God is full of grace. The beginning of this psalm gives us a sweet example of how to pray like the tax collector even right now. God, be gracious to me. I need your grace. I have not earned favor with you. I cannot win you over by my performance. But you are near to me. You shine your face on me. It's not what I deserve, but you give it to me as a gift. Thank you. God wants his grace to be known everywhere. 
That's the first thing to know. What's the second thing? God has saving power, right? Verse 2, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Does this remind you of something? It reminded me of Romans 1.16, which says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. Saving power, the power of salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The gospel, the good news of Jesus is the saving power of God to anyone who believes. The gospel that Jesus was sent to this world to live the life that we couldn't, fully God, fully man, that he died the death that we deserve, taking upon himself the curse of sin, but then rising from the grave to defeat death, to prove that he is who he said he was, that he is God and he is over death, and then invite us into that same resurrection life. That is the gospel. The gospel has resurrection power, death to life. God does that. He did that to Jesus. He's doing that to people in this room. God's saving power is for anyone, anywhere. And it is awesome. But Austin, didn't it say, God be gracious to us, right? Bless us, this small group of people. Surely that means God wants his doors closed on this good news. Surely that means that he wants to keep himself away from the masses. He wants to keep his grace far from people. If that is how you read this text, then you have severely undervalued the one word, the one word that connects two very important parts, that. Do you catch that word? That. It's in verse 2, be gracious to us, bless us, that your way may be known among the earth. Be known on earth. Your saving power would be known among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. This is not exclusive. God wants to be known everywhere by all peoples. God wants his grace to be known everywhere and his saving power to be known everywhere. The flow is quite simple. He shows you himself so that he would be known elsewhere. He reveals himself to individuals so they can enjoy him, enjoy the truth of who he is while also giving it to the next person. Guys, the gospel came to you on its way to someone else. Imagine this for a second. We're not far from this arena, the XL Energy Center. Imagine you're in there and you're having the time of your life cheering on the wild. It's a wild game, crazy, super enjoyable. You've got your nachos. You're enjoying your life, right? Watching the sweet hockey game, state of hockey, okay. But then all of a sudden you sit down with your nachos you take a glance to your right, and if your peripherals aren't lying to you, there seems to be a movement coming your way. Something, maybe it's a 
just a big, massive movement heading your direction. You don't know quite what it is, so you got to take a glance, and you were right. It is a wave, a tsunami of wild fans coming at you, one person after another standing up and raising their hands up. And now you have the most important decision of your evening. Will you risk the nachos for the sake of seeing a wave go through the stands? The answer is always yes, risk the nachos, it's worth it. So, as the wave comes by, you do what any good fan would do, you stand up and because you have your hands on your nachos, you do the little shoulder shrug and then you sit back down and you watch the wave continue, a well-executed fan experience. It was simple and beautiful, wasn't it? The wave came to you on its way to someone else. Guys, this is how the gospel will go to the ends of the earth. The gospel comes to you on its way to someone else. You are the means by which the world will know the one true God. The church is the means by which the gospel will spread like a wave to the ends of the earth because God wants his grace known everywhere. He wants his saving power known everywhere. And when we know it, we enjoy it. Let's look at these two things to enjoy. This is verse three through five. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. See, God wants to be praised and enjoyed throughout the entire earth. He does not want you to be bored with him. He wants you to have ultimate joy, unending joy in him. And where God is known, he is praised. Where he is praised, he is enjoyed. We have to ask the question, hey, what can we praise him for? What gives the nations joy? And I see two things in verse 4. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the nations, sorry, you judge the peoples with equity and you guide the nations upon earth. God judges with equity. Or in other words, God deals rightly with all people. He is holy. He is different than us. He is supreme, ruling and reigning in a way that we can't fully comprehend other than the fact that it is good. It's for his praise and it's for our joy. And it is a good thing that God judges fairly Because we can trust that in the final days, God will not be partial when he judges the nations. There will be no bribes taken. There will be no sophisticated bargaining, no persuasion from corrupt people. We will not be condemned because of our ability or disability. We will not be condemned because of where we grew up color of our skin, economic status, 
ethnicity, nationality. We won't be judged by Bible reading or church attendance. Everyone will be on equal footing before God. He will not be partial. Every person will be judged according to the standard that God has set. Perfection. It must be perfection. But the universal, the universal reality is that we all stand as failures before God. We are universally imperfect. We have not measured up to his standard. That's why we deserve separation from him. Separation from God because we did not meet his standard and he is not partial. But remember that God wants his grace known everywhere. His saving power known everywhere. That's why he sent his son Jesus to be separated from him so that we wouldn't have to be. Jesus was the only one who met the standard. He's the only one that could claim perfection. He was God in human form, and he laid down his life on a Roman cross. He took on himself the sins of many so that many who would believe in him would stand in perfection, in his perfection. Jesus is the only way to be made right with God, if you have believed in him and claim him as your own, there is good news that your sin has been dealt with already. God was just to deal with your sin through Jesus. You stand vindicated in the courtroom, cleared of all guilt and all suspicion of guilt because Jesus took it. You stand blameless before God. Because you have switched places with Jesus. He takes your failure. You take his perfection. You are justified. You are his child. You are forgiven. You are loved. You will be raised to new life and spend eternity with God forever. This is grace. And God is just to do it. Without Jesus taking your place, God will deal with your sin the same way that he dealt with the sin that Jesus took. Separation from God. And he is just to do this. He will judge with fairness and deal with all peoples justly, either through Jesus or through hell. And when I hear news like that, I cannot help but think of the people that don't know the way out. I can't help but think about the ones who have never heard the gospel of grace. The gospel of grace says Jesus has already finished the job. That it's not about performance. All that is required of you is a need for him. And we all need him. The gospel that says that Jesus has finished the job is the gospel that makes the nations glad. That's the news that gives hope. But billions of people right now do not have it. 
It's the news that gives people hope, and yet billions of people do not have hope because they do not know Jesus. Billions of people every day all over the globe starving for hope, starving for the thing that's going to make them whole, starving for the thing that will satisfy them. And we know what will satisfy them. We know it. We know that they need need Jesus. They need to know that God is full of grace. That he is welcoming anyone to call him father. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Why can we sing for joy when there is a task left unfinished right now? It's because the end of verse 4 tells us that God guides the nations on earth. Guys, here is the hope for the world. Here's the confidence of the Christian. Not our ability to save the world. It's not even our desire to see the world saved. The confidence is that God is sovereign over the saving mission of the world. He is ultimately over And he is ultimately for the saving of the world. Though the task is large, God will do it. He guides nations. He leads leaders. He sets up kings and tears them down. He sends out missionaries and creates opportunities for eternities to be changed. He wants to be known and praised by all peoples, and he will be. God will bring the good news through us. But it is him who ultimately guides the saving mission so we can trust that the job will be accomplished. This honestly makes me think of the old days cruising through Cub Foods. That's probably what you were thinking about too, right? Cub Foods. Anybody get in those shopping carts that had the little car attached to them? Yeah, I love those things. Whoever thought of that was a genius. But I would hop in one of those, and you know it's got the steering wheel and everything. I would hop in one of those carts. All right, mom and dad, let's go for a ride, you know? You got your hands on the steering wheel. You're turning right and left. I'm cruising through. I know exactly where I'm going. But then I turn the wheel left, and all of a sudden the cart goes right. Like, what the heck is happening here? Oh, you're right. I wasn't actually driving the cart Good thing, too, because probably if I was actually the one driving that car, I probably would have hit a couple people, definitely wouldn't have gotten all the groceries we need. It was a good thing that my parents were driving the cart. We can enjoy that God is over the saving mission of the world. He can drive the cart well. He will accomplish the mission. We can enjoy and rest in the fact that God is sovereign and he will get the job done. Let the peoples praise you. Oh God, let all the peoples praise you. They will. Can I blow your mind for a second? All the peoples praise you. This is wild. It's simple, but it's so cool. Guys, we are a part of the all peoples. The gospel didn't come from the United States. The gospel didn't come from Minnesota. It didn't come from the basement. 
of the Intercontinental Hotel. Guys, it came from Jerusalem. That's 6,000 miles away. God has been guiding the course of history so that the good news would come here. By his sovereign hand, in 2023, a group of people can now sit in the basement of a hotel and be glad in God. Because God made his grace known to one, and then a few more, and then the few shared it with a few more. And over 2,000 years, 6,000 miles, he brought it here. And now we find ourselves caught up in a wave of gospel mission. Because the salvation of many began with the pursuit of one. You saw my wife uh, read the scripture. We got a house in South Minneapolis recently, and now we have a lawn. Oh my goodness. This is what I was thinking about as I was prepping this message. We were out pulling weeds. Yeah. We've got the, one of those weed pickers where you like stab it in the ground, stomp it, grabs the root and everything. It's kind of fascinating, really satisfying. Cora's been going to town on it. It's awesome. I was also doing it, and I realized that I've become the type of person that now in my downtime, I do think about my grass. It is kind of a bummer. But the insurance commercials were right. You cannot stop a young homeowner from becoming like their parents. <laughs> Hilarious. Man, but I love picking the dandelions. It is epic. Oh, I was picking some of them out, and then that voice entered into my head a little bit, right? Austin, dude, you can't get all these. They're everywhere. The neighbor's yard, they've got the little the fluffy seeds. They're just going to blow right over. It's hopeless. The dandelions are everywhere. But then in my kind of smug confidence, saying to myself, I'm self-talking right now, I say to myself, just wait. Grab my weed picker, go up to the next one, snatch that one out, and say back to myself, got that one. And then I move on to the next. <laughs> got that one. The snatching of many always starts with the pursuit of one. Isn't it the same with gospel movement? God's pursuit of sinners is so intimate that it can be said, he sought me out and saved me. And yet it is so widespread that at the same time, God's pursuit of sinners is so wide that one day there will be a great multitude that no one can number. And from every tribe, every nation, every language, people will be singing out in a loud voice, Jesus is Lord. He sought me out and saved me. There will be representatives from every single people group who have experienced the grace of God and will sing of it for eternity. God guides the saving mission of the world through the spread of the gospel, one person at a time. He is gracious and wants to be known by all peoples. He is sovereign, so he will be known by all peoples. And we can join him in this mission by echoing the psalmist 
in verse 5. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. There's two things to know. God is gracious and has saving power. Two things to enjoy, that he judges fairly and he guides the nations towards joy in him. And that leaves us with one thing to do. Let's look back at verse 6. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. The earth has yielded its increase. You know what he's talking about right now? The harvest. He's talking about a plentiful harvest. There's been a great bountiful harvest in Israel, and he is pumped because the land is bearing fruit. There is crops to go around. And once again, guys, I am thinking about my lawn. That's right. We planted some grass seed in the backyard, and I'm not kidding you. This morning, I was out watering. Corey can attest to this. We saw some little blades of grass popping up. God shall bless us with a green lawn. We are pumped. The earth has yielded its increase because nothing shouts God's blessing like a rich green lawn. Who have I become? <laughs> but for real, okay. <laughs> why, does, why does a psalmist make the transition between this spiritual blessing, sovereign rule over the world, and now something about crops? He's making the connection between material wealth and spiritual worship. God gives material things so that the world would worship him. The psalmist sees that the harvest is plentiful and says, hey, look what we have. What a gift. I want the ends of the earth to see that God is full of grace, that he's worthy of praise. He gives good gifts. And so this is our one thing to do. Look at what we have and use it to bring worship. That's what mission is. John Piper has my favorite quote on missions. It's simple. He says that missions exist because worship doesn't. And so we're going and bringing worship of a holy God where it isn't already. And the one thing for us to do is look at what we have been given and use it for that very goal. You were given riches so that you would reach people with the gospel. You were given wealth so that you would be able to inspire worship to a holy God. What have you been given? Maybe you were given that house in that neighborhood so that you would reach those neighbors with the good news. Maybe you were given that job to add value to the community and to love and serve your coworkers. Maybe you were given those kids to raise them and help them to fall in love with Jesus. You were blessed to be a blessing. So what does it look like to lean into the things that God gave you and use them to bring worship where it isn't already? How can you leverage what you have to bring the gospel to your friends, your family. The blessing came to you on its way to someone else. There is a deep need. 
for the people around you and around the globe to know and enjoy Jesus. And you have been given the good news on its way to them. That's the flow of Psalm 67. It's the flow of all of redemptive history. God reveals himself to a small group so that through them, the world would know a God of grace. Through ordinary people like you and me, the nations will be glad and they will sing for joy. God will be known. God will be praised. God will be enjoyed. And God will be feared among all peoples. And we can join in this reality right now by praying like the psalmist. Asking God to be gracious to us so that the world would know him. And so I just want to do that right now. Would you pray with me? Father, you are full of grace. We need that again this morning. Thank you for revealing yourself to us. Thank you that it's not about our performance this past week. We want more and more people to know that you are a God of grace. God, we want them to love you and praise you for you are good. God, I just pray that you would use us, average, ordinary people, to make your way known on earth. God, would you let all the peoples praise you. Use us to be like a wave of gospel movement among the earth. Let all the peoples praise you, God. We trust that you will bring the good news to the ends of the earth. We trust your sovereign hand. We trust that you will deal rightly with all people, God, we believe, help our unbelief. And would you allow us to just engage with you right now? Would you shine your face on us in this place? Would you stir up worship in this room? Be glorified in our hearts, God. Pray this in your name. Amen.